Welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. We help you stay happy, healthy and whole so your small business can thrive and stay vital in this ever-changing world with holistic coaches and small business owners, Jill and Dan. Hello and welcome to the Small Business Whole Health Podcast. I'm Jill and I'm here with my podcasting partner, Daniel. Hello, Jill and hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. And today we are talking about the four white devils. I, I know it's with the Czech Institute. They've got some good like one-liners, haven't they, Dan, so that we can remember it all by, you know, the six foundations, the six stressors, all of that kind of stuff. And this today is going to be the four white devils, which are, go on, Dan. <laughs> Flour, salt, sugar, and pasteurized dairy. Yes. So these are the four things that Paul Czech and the Czech Institute teach that we should avoid as much as possible out of our diet as much as we can. And I've got some, I've got some tales to tell you, Dan. You've got some tales to tell me <laughs> of your recent diet experiments. Yes, because I've been experimenting in the world of diet, having spent years in complete denial that anything I was eating is actually affecting my skin. That's a really good point because, yeah, a lot of people, especially kind of, but some people totally don't know what they eat is hurting them, so they, they can't really help it. But then often people who are educated, they just go into denial, don't they? <laughs> because they enjoy eating these foods that are actually harming them so much. So they just pretend it's not that. It must be it must be the work environment. It must be the stress. <laughs> but really, it's the alcohol or the gluten that's killing them. Yeah, absolutely right. And because I was born with my skin condition, I just always thought oh, something I was born with, I don't have a lot of control over it. Whereas actually I've realised I have a heck of a lot of control and it's probably 95% down to me <laughs> what I've been eating. Yeah, you might not be able to cure it completely, but you can massively reduce it to the point where you might not even notice it anymore. Yeah. But it requires hard work. and It does. It uh, requires, I think... Changing a diet is is one of the hardest things you can do for anybody because I think we've we pre-programmed a lot of it and it's a lot of it's habit as well. So when you combine pre-programming and habit together, it's quite a hard thing to break through, isn't it? But education is one of the ways. Yeah, and when you do something from when you're born to when you die, like three to five times a day, that's a big commitment to change, isn't it? Because yeah. we're going to eat every day of our life and to, to change that, is a big deal when you get for maybe the first 20 years of your life you just you don't even provide your own meals someone just puts it in front of you yeah you yeah exactly so, so to then learn about it and the fact that there's so much misinformation and marketing out there for you to get addicted to the wrong stuff that makes it even harder to change so understandably it is a difficult topic but with that comes when you learn about it and you change it the results are drastic so that that's all that's a good thing that's a good side of it Absolutely. So let's dig in then. Dan, which one should we go for first? I think we should go straight in with the biggest one, I think, which is sugar, the number one white devil, which I just want to say a quick thing. Like, I think it sounds like a white supremacist group or something like the the, the four white, <laughs> the white devils. devils. It's nothing to do with like, it's not like a religious <laughs> cult or anything like that. It's just, um, it's a kind of cool title, but it's, uh, I hope anyone's not offended, but it's just, it's because yeah. all these foods are actually white and not very good for you hence the yeah. devil term yeah but like when you think about that like why are they all white because they've been processed uh, i think it might just be a total coincidence as well there's some stuff which is which is different colors which is probably bad for you <laughs> yeah there's not 
<laughs> so anyway, so what, what are we doing with sugar? So sugar is something, I was listening to Paul Check the other day and he was saying that coffee, sugar and a, or tobacco, coffee, sugar and tobacco are all commodities, three commodities. And they're three commodities that even during a crisis never crash. Really? Uh, that's interesting that. But coffee is so, the second most traded product in the world, isn't it? After oil. Is it? Yeah. So that just goes to show how much us humans rely on sugar, tobacco, and coffee. <laughs> yeah, and sugar used to be, I think it was even up until like three or 400 years ago, was so expensive to produce that only the really rich and kind of royalty could afford. And they would, and they would really treat it like, like a treat. And they would only have, I think it was like, like five to 10 pounds of it a year. But now the average person in the UK or America has like hundreds of pounds of sugar per year because the manufacturing and the crops and stuff have increased so easy and it's so cheap to make and it's so addictive. So people want more of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we we're just talking there before about the um, combining sugar and fat together creates a, a beautiful thing for us humans. Like it's one of our things that we're not sure why evolutionary we're so, so attracted to the fat sugar combination. And um, the first started using it as a preservative in like the 1940s or something. And then they realized how addictive that was to us. It's probably something to do with the calories. Like we're programmed to eat a lot of calories when they're available. Only problem is they're available all the time right now. So that's why um, we can eat a lot of this stuff. And it's like that, get that calories in uh, quickly. So it's now used in so many products that um, the fat sugar combination adds salt to it as well. That's another white devil. And you've got a killer combination there. Yeah, it explains the reason why the typical scenario I like to use is you get a massive family bag of Doritos and you think you're just going to eat a few. And -hmm. next thing you know, the whole bag's gone and you feel like a pig. But your body, there's there's the right amount of fat, the right amount of sugar, so it feels addictive. There's obviously salt in there. There's spices in there sometimes, which can be kind of addictive. But there's no nutrition. So your body realizes that it's getting this salt and fat and sugar but it's not getting any like nutrients or vitamins or minerals. So your brain tells yourself, right, you're eating food, but there's no nutrients. So just keep digging, keep digging, see if you can find those nutrients. But trouble is you keep digging and you finish the bottom of the bag and you feel ill because you've had all this sugar and fat and chemicals as well. Your body and your brain are almost become separated. Your body knows it's not very healthy, but your brain's telling you to keep going. Trouble is you feel ill for an hour, but the next day you could probably do it again. Do it again built into the marketing isn't it once you pop you can't stop you just can't stop yeah exactly so um yeah so they know how addictive it is and then they keep churning them out and we'll keep eating them um a little note on diet drinks and all of that kind of stuff there's been research to show there's very little evidence that there's any difference between the low sugar and the high sugar diet drinks as well because once they take the sugar out they're actually filling it with sweeteners and all that aspartame and shit like aspartame, that aspartame which is just even worse so yeah yeah, sugar and it's in so many things i think you should really be you'd be surprised wouldn't you how much sugar's in stuff oh once you start looking into it it's in absolutely everything Mm. all like your condiments your salad dressings it's sometimes it's the number one ingredient sauces bread i'll tell you what it's even in it's in cigarette papers really yep so you think you have a cigarette 
the the butt of the cigarette is the only part you put in your mouth so the little kind of orangey yellow bit mm-hmm. apparently they put sugar in there so you get the sugar on your lips which is an addictive substance obviously the nicotine is addictive as well but that's just a double whammy so you might not necessarily think you're having sugar but it's in your lips it's in your saliva it's in your taste buds ultimately it's in your system and if you do that 20 times a day you get addicted to that cigarette being in your mouth and sugar is really bad for your teeth as well rocks oh, your teeth. God, yeah. Um, but yeah, like you like you said, it's in everything, but it's not it's not just labelled as the word sugar, which is the biggest con gone, because if it was just labelled as sugar as the number one ingredient in big capital letters, it's a bit more obvious that you're mm-hmm. having sugar as the number one ingredient. But you need to be careful. Anything that ends in the letters O S E is sugar. So glucose or dextrose, fructose, maltose. I think there's anywhere between 50 and 100 different variations and it's all sugar it all acts the same way on your system so if you look at ingredients and often they have multiple different ones it's got fructose dextrose um just the word sugar itself it might have five different types of sugar in a product and in another thing as well just because you're eating an organic product might like an organic fruit bar or i might say a natural occurring sugars just because it's natural or it's organic doesn't mean it affects your system any differently, okay? Organic sugar is still a sugar. And if there's far too much of it in that product for you, it's just going to have the same effect as man-made sugar. So just be careful about that. It's still going to spike your blood sugar. You're going to crash. It's going to rot your teeth. So just because it's natural or it's organic doesn't make it any better. It's the amount, which is which is the thing, and it's addictive. And any excess sugar is stored in the form of glucose, and since the liver's capacity is limited, a daily intake of refined sugar soon makes the liver expand. When the liver is filled to its maximum capacity, excess glycogen is returned to the blood in the form of fatty acids. These fatty acids are then taken to every part of the body and stored as fat in inactive areas. So usually the belly, the butt, the boobs or the thighs. Yeah, and we were just talking about this off air. So eating too much sugar will cause excess fat. Yeah. But a, a big misnomer and people, a big thing people get wrong is people think eating dietary fat makes you fat. But all these low fat products normally take the fat out and put sugar in. When sugar is the thing that makes you fat, dietary fat doesn't make you fat. It's just the same word. We've said this on about 10 podcasts and we're going to keep saying it because <laughs> it's just so wrong and it'll you'll get so frustrated by eating low fat and gaining body weight. It's because it's all messed up. The marketing's just to trick you. Yeah. And it just, it um, if you're trying to watch your hormones, sugar is the one thing that will really mess with your hormonal. It'll shoot your insulin levels up, which then if you're stressed, that will turn your body into a fat storing body rather than a fat releasing body. Um, it's one of the main causes of things like obesity, uh, degenerative joint problems because it's an inflammatory thing. So it's lots highly of, acidic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, depression. It's been linked to depression, behavioral problems. Um, our, and I'm just reading this out of How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy by Paul Check. Our ability to resist disease progressively decreases as processed sugars displace the nutrient-dense foods we were designed to thrive on. The chances of acquiring one of the following diseases or side effects rockets 
once you eat a lot of sugar. So they are kidney disease, liver disease, atherosclerosis, that's like hardening of the arteries, isn't it? Coronary heart disease, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, behavioral problems, violent tendencies, overgrowth of candida, yeast and fungi, cancers, tumors are enormous sugar absorbers, bone loss, tooth decay, chronic fatigue, food intolerances, numerous psychological disorders such as schizophrenia, neurological disorders and associated pains, colon cancer and diseases of malnutrition. And it's funny that you have people who are suffering from malnutrition when they often are fat. And that's because they are not getting any nutrients through. We've replaced nutrients, dense foods with sugar. Yeah, overfed, but undernourished. Exactly. Got that list there, pretty much labels every disease known to man, doesn't it? So yeah, (laughs) Yeah. not only is it addictive, it's poisonous. It's literally killing you. Um, So yeah, if you can avoid sugar, like it's hard to avoid it totally, but try and save it just for treats. I don't mean every day. I mean, like a a little bit of birthday cake or Christmas, have a few chocolates, like trying to eliminate as much as possible because I can speak from experience once because I've totally eliminated sugar before and then falling back into bad habits and it just grips you straight away and it's so addictive. It's, um, Mm. it's scary. So yeah, try and avoid it. Yeah. Okay. Have we done with sugar? I think we've got that hammered that one home. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So white devil number two, let's go for salt. Salt. Go on then. You go first. Yeah. So salt is not as kind of, I would say obviously dangerous because I think a lot of people know about sugar, but it's hard to give up. Whereas salt, people just think, oh, it's just a little bit of table salt on food. But table salt is actually highly refined and highly dangerous. Sodium chloride, if you're going to have salt, you should get what we would call real salt, like Celtic sea salt or Redmond salt or Himalayan pink salt. These mm. have all the trace minerals and they're really good for your body. They have electrolytes. But white table salt does not. It's really, really acidic. I always think of when... People pour it on slugs and it bloody kills them straight away. It's like, that's how dangerous <laughs> yeah. it is. Why would you pour it on your food? Yeah, exactly. And um, pros- if you eat a lot of processed foods, then it's just a lot of salt already in there anyway. And then people often pour more of the stuff on top. And yeah, it's just lethal. I mean, luckily, I'm not one for, I've never been one for table salt. I really don't like it. But I do really like good quality um, Redmond salt. And I find that. Mm-hmm. Just if you're having a steak or something and you just get some good quality salt on top, it just enhances the flavor as well. And your Mm -hmm. your body really knows that it's good for you. And it's such a different, it shouldn't even be called the same thing, I think, like a real good quality sea salt and then table salt. It's the two worlds apart, aren't they, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, according to Professor Tim Spector, who's, you know, him and Paul Check are like my my dudes now that, give me all of my health knowledge he says that the effects on heart and blood pressure are actually minimal so you know when people say like i'm going to give up salt because it's bad for my heart it's um it's actually very there's like tons of other things that you could be doing instead of giving salt giving up salt but um all of the well most of the research is done on processed salt so actually eating high quality like what you were saying is some cases actually good for your health and should be done especially if you're sweating a lot if on on um, hot days because it will help replace the electrolytes that you lose so salt is a requirement not processed just high quality yeah like you were saying about 
people who sweat a lot, like athletes and people who work out and exercise a lot, yeah, it is really important because you need those electrolytes. And um, you mentioned how to eat, move and be healthy earlier. And I, I was reading that today. Again, there was a list of kind of um, ailments which were caused by a lack of salt. And one of them, it was linked, you know, when you're, you're seated or you're on the floor and you stand up and you get lightheaded, mm-hmm. that can be linked with lower salt levels or electrolyte uh-huh. levels. So having a good quality salt in your diet can eliminate that. So even little things which kind of you might not necessarily associate with salt. Yeah, little things like that. So I reckon like cramp as well. Can be a yeah, so for athletes who yeah. do long distance events, um, they often have salt tablets, but just just make sure it's high quality. But again, like like we spoke about sugar, just just check for how much salt is in your food, and processed food. It'll be the lowest quality salt gone, and the amount will be high, and it makes you thirsty as well. So like, it's not really a good sign if you're eating something and it makes you overly thirsty. The signs are all there. I know it does taste good, but a little word: if you're gonna salt your food, taste your food first. And then if it needs salt, add it. Don't just add salt out of habit because it might already be, be too salty. So little tip. Cool. Right. Next one. Devil number three. Let's go dairy. Dairy. Okay. The dairy, the dairy devil. The dairy devil. So this is white pasteurized milk. So um, I gave up drinking milk when I was about 20. And it made, um, I used to drink loads, tons of milk, actually, a lot, a lot of it. And also milk is quite high in sugar as well. And I gave it up. I went to see a homeopathist when I was about 20 and she said, you've got to stop drinking milk. It's wrecking your skin. So I did. Um, I've not drank it since, to be honest, because once you start stop drinking it, it's really hard. to. It, it's like it makes us feel a bit sick now thinking about it, like drinking milk. It's just ugh. anyway. So I stopped drinking it, but then I started a little bit. I never really stopped drinking cheese or anything, eating cheese or anything like that. And yogurt, minimal. I wouldn't say I'm a big yogurt drinker. Sometimes mix it in curries and stuff, you know. But I don't. I would never sit and eat a yogurt. Um, so, but it did make a massive impact on us when I was younger. And um, yeah, I've had to cut it, recut it out again totally now. So I'm not even allowed my little tiny bit of milk in my coffee and I'll talk about that in a bit what I've been doing with my experimentations but yeah white pasteurized milk not so good for you and it's something that we all all drink can you remember um Maggie Thatcher the milk that snatcher can you remember that I'm far too young to remember that (laughs) so there was (laughs) when well I mean I was only little at school but this is like this was a big thing because we all used to get a bottle of milk at school um, like these little bottles and that was what every child used to get and then Margaret Thatcher stopped it and it was uproar Maggie Thatcher the milk that snatcher they called her um, so it, it's it's kind of built into our genetic code that or not in our genetic code in our society that we should children should be drinking milk right but should yeah. we Dan? Well I think you made a few good points at the, at the start of talking about that but really quickly yeah like it's just built into us, like especially, I know me and you are from Northern England, and I suppose England just in general. You grow up drinking tea with milk in, mm-hmm. then you have a biscuit with it, which is like we're going to talk about flour next, but it's just flour and sugar with milk mm-hmm. chocolate. You you put salt on all your food. It's just it is it's built into you. You get you get chocolate as a dessert. Mm-hmm. It's just it's really hard to avoid, but it's uh, it's kind of a well built system to addict you to all these unhealthy foods. Milkshakes. When you, yeah, in your kind of opening statement about dairy, you mentioned that yeah, pasteurized is the thing we need to talk about really. 
Mm. And you said it's got high sugar content, which so the sugar content in milk is called lactose. So we mentioned earlier that anything that ends in the letters O-S-E is sugar. So lactose is the one that comes from milk. Um, fructose is the one that comes from fruit. So just to be aware of these things. But yeah, pasteurization. So milk or dairy in general can be like a real, I don't like to use the term superfood, but it can be very, very good and nutritionally dense. And it can be fantastic if it's consumed raw, so straight mm. from the cow. But that got um, that got banned because, well, a lot of big conspiracies around making money and things like that. And even the guy who invented the pasteurization process, he even admitted later in life, Louis Pasteur, that his theories weren't kind of fully correct. His germ theory, we'll not go too deep into that. But yeah, pasteurization <laughs> kills, what, what does it, it kills, well, it's meant to kill harmful bacteria, which it does because there can be outbreaks of tuberculosis and things like that in cows. And that can, if we then drink the milk, it can make us ill. So I think it came from good intentions originally. Mm-hmm. But when you when you heat the milk, it kills the tuberculosis. But it also, it kills all the enzymes, the vitamins, the amino acids, and just essentially leaves you with this, this dead white water that doesn't have any nutritional content. It might not be, it might not have tuberculosis, but it doesn't have any, it's not food anymore either. So mm-hmm. a sense of what's the point in having it. So, and, and a good way to tell, I mean, all the milk in supermarkets is pasteurized. Mm-hmm. Even if it's organic, it's still pasteurized. But a good way to tell between pasteurized and raw, pasteurized milk will go off after, what, a week or 10 days maybe, and it'll smell disgusting warm, it'll turn your stomach. Mm-hmm. But actual raw milk straight from the cow and you just leave it, if it's from a healthy cow, it'll turn to buttermilk and then it'll turn to sour cream. And these foods just become more like, they just turn to different products and you can still eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, but pasteurized milk will literally turn your stomach. It's that bad. Did you know that only 35% of the world can drink half a pint of milk without feeling sick? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you were saying there, you can't imagine drinking half a pint of milk now, but when you were younger, it was just normal. Like, I was kind oh, of the God, same. I used to drink a lot, so yeah. yeah. I don't think I have a massive intolerance to it. Like, you obviously have got an intolerance. Mm-hmm. But, like, now I can't really imagine sitting with a pint of milk. But when I was 12-year-old, that would have been, like, totally normal. Oh, I, yeah. I My just... kids drink loads of milk. Yeah. Like, they come back from school and the first thing they do is go and get a glass of milk out of mm. the fridge. It's bizarre. So only uh, 35% of the world can drink half a pint of milk without feeling sick. This shoots up to over 90% in Northern Europe and down to 40% in Southern Europe. So us Northern Europeans are more lacto-tolerant than mm. in Southern Europe. However, it's not the 65% who have the problem, but milk drinkers, we have successfully mutated and spread around the world. Us milk, well, you, milk, I, I was intolerant to it, so... I didn't get the gene. <laughs> when you say mutated and spread, it sounds like the X-Men or something like that. I'm not a mutant. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't mutated to get the gene, but not many of us have. So, um, yeah, so milk's not all that is cracked up to be, right? No. And if you can reduce it, then as much as you can, then that's good. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, if you had raw milk, like you say, and raw cheese and raw butter, it was really good. If you can tolerate it, then it can be a really nutritionally dense food. Mm-hmm. So in times of survival times, before thousands of years ago, before supermarkets, you could just go and get food easily. 
if you were just living off the land and living off animal foods in the winter, there wouldn't be much vegetation to eat. You would have to eat animals. And if you had a few cows, you could milk the cows and have raw dairy. And if you could tolerate it, it's got a lot of healthy fat. It's got a lot of calories. It would be a good food to eat. But mm. then along came pasteurization and filling cows full of antibiotics and hormones and it turned from a health food into a really dangerous food, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, devil number three, dairy, no good. Off the list. Yeah. Yeah. Right, devil number four. Devil number four is white flour. Now, um, I'm just going to read you a little bit out of here. Um, 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 2.6 million years ago, um, that's how long humans have been around on the planet, more or less. It was only about... Till 10,000 years ago that we started seeing grains becoming part of the human diet. So we've got 2 million years of not eating grains in our evolutionary period. We evolved eating predominantly wild game, seafood, worms and insects. Insects are making a comeback, aren't they? You know, like just as a bit of a side note. I saw that the other day. They're making like insect burgers and stuff. I'll let, I'll let you try them first. <laughs> Well, Bear Grylls has been doing it for years now. Yeah, exactly. And when you go to Thailand, they sell in the markets and stuff. They sell in, like roasted insects. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't try them, but uh, they're, they're there. Seasonal fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds. It wasn't until about 5,000 to 10,000 years ago that farming began and humans began eating grains. Since that time, there's been a progressive increase in the consumption of grains and grain-based products. Not easy to say. Yet this time period is a flash in the scope of human evolution during which our digestive machinery was formed. An increase in degenerative de- diseases is often the result when traditional diets are replaced with high diets high in processed food, usually grain-based. Often the, the food pyramid we get taught off the government and off the NHS and things like that, you get these highly processed grains and complex carbohydrates they get labelled as the staple of your Health diet. Food, yeah. Yeah, but they're not. And I think, um, and also, it's all like, again, it comes down if you follow the money. You get taught as a kid, like, eat your pasta, eat your bread, it gives you energy. It's like, if you want to go and do sport, you have to have Lucozade, which is just sugar. It's just a dent, it's just a carbohydrate. Mm. Um, have your pasta, it's just a carbohydrate. It's just not true when it comes down to, like, the scientific fact. It's just not true, is it? I know. Um, when- yeah, go on. I was going to say, whenever you were ill in the 1980s, that's all you got, a bottle of Lucozade. Uh, yeah. That's what my mum used to give sugar, us, a bottle of Lucozade, you'll be fine. <laughs> Sort yourself out. So, yeah, so we are not designed to eat grains. Um, and again, it's our friend Ansel Keys, who we met in the fat. While he was telling people to stop eating fat, what did they have in excess of in America at the time was grains and grain-based products that were easy to um assimilate into the human diet so it's like eating cardboard really if you think about it they've got no nutritional value um they're just fillers so if if you said that's why they have to get fortified with all these vitamins if you look at the back of the cereal packet the amount of vitamins that's been injected into this cardboard you're probably better off eating the package isn't that what someone said once that you i don't know if you get more nutritional value but yeah, there's nothing there. And where are these vitamins coming from as well? It's not... They're just synthetic. Yeah. So ugh. anyway, yeah. So grains, not good for you. And you were saying about the whole Ansel Keys thing, telling people to stop eating fat and start eating grains instead. 
So America is obviously a very vast country. They can produce crazy amount of quantities of, of grains like flour. Mm. Um, a lot of them genetically modified so the, the, the insects don't eat the crops. So they can produce massive, massive amounts, like in excess really. So a lot of third world countries often ask for food of bigger nations like America and other countries. But it was when I was reading how to eat, move and be healthy, um, some of these third world countries, America would offer a lot of their flour, so their grains to these countries, and they would actually decline them because they knew <laughs> they were so poor quality. They were starving countries, but they would still decline this Not grain. That. <laughs> Yet it's sold on every shelf of every supermarket as, as cereal and pasta and bread. And we eat it willingly and pay money for it. Yet third world countries won't even have it or it'll be bottom of the list. That's how bad it is. You don't get taught this, it gets hidden. But yeah, and off air we were talking about bread because me and you don't eat a lot of bread. I just know that it's really bad for my system. Like you with milk, I'm like that with gluten, like particularly mm-hmm. bread. But as a little bit of an experiment, I, I read some of the packaging on the back of some loaves of bread and I couldn't believe the amount of ingredients. I think I was a little bit naive because I don't, <laughs> I don't eat bread. But I thought it was just wheat or flour. But there's about 20 ingredients in it, like preservatives and sugar and salt. And I thought, like, I thought it was it was just bread. It just sounds so simple. It's wheat. <laughs> Mash the wheat. I thought it was just wheat. But <laughs> God, yeah. So, yeah, read the ingredients like you said. If you kind of pronounce an ingredient or it wasn't here 10,000 years ago, your body kind of digests it really. Yeah. So I've been, like I said before earlier, that I've been in denial that anything I was doing was um, affected my skin. And I've been working with Lee, as you know, and he suggested that I go gluten-free. And honestly, within a week, my skin has <laughs> almost cleared up. I feel so much better. And, and, I, and I don't eat a lot of gluten. Like, I don't eat a lot of bread. I don't eat pasta. I don't eat rice. I don't even know if it's in rice, to be honest. But I don't eat a lot of stuff that has it in. But when you actually start... Oh, I thought I didn't. But when you start looking at what's what it's in, there's actually in so much stuff that you wouldn't even expect gluten to be there. So, yeah, and on the on the packaging, it won't it won't say gluten. It'll just say wheat. But at, at yeah. least at least it's um it's highlighted in bold. So look for mm-hmm. that because it might be like a sub ingredient but it's got wheat in. Um, mm-hmm. And if you go like a little bit deeper into nutrition or a lot deeper. If you say you might be a carnivore, you might only eat meat. But if you're eating a cow that's been fed grains its whole life instead of grass, which it's meant to eat, you might have a, a gluten reaction because you eating a piece of beef and that piece and you are what you eat. The cow's been eating gluten its whole life. You might have a reaction off that piece of beef. So you have to like, if you're having really bad reactions, go a little bit deeper down the chain. Mm-hmm. If you're and- allergic to soy and you're eating these farmed salmon, which are fed on soy, that could give you a reaction. So it can be really hard to pinpoint, especially when it's so hidden. You can look at the ingredients on the back of a loaf of bread, but you cannot, you cannot, um, on the back of a piece of beef, it doesn't tell you what the cow's been eating its, its whole life. But yeah, exactly. the, the, the information is out there. Um, so you see, mm. yeah, we're, we're trying to spread it. And gluten also is in a lot of uh, cosmetics that you probably don't realize as well. So if you are gluten intolerant or like properly got celiac disease, if you actually look at what's in lipsticks and foundations and stuff, you might be actually putting it on your skin without even not knowing it's there. Yeah, why does it have to be in those things? It's it's strange, isn't it? 
it's like a stabilizer isn't it probably so yeah yeah yeah, like flour what they do is the the germ or the the wheat gets milled down so much that it becomes so fine so it's a million miles away from what it is in its original form that it becomes such a simple carbohydrate that it actually spikes your blood sugar just as much as having a piece of chocolate or a boiled sweet which is just pure sugar but because because flour uh, wheat is a carbohydrate they mill it down and it becomes like dust it's like a really fine particle it's that's why a piece of bread or a piece of pasta is so high on the glycemic index mm. it'll just spike your blood sugar just as much as chocolate so imagine if you had a massive bowl of pasta without any fat or protein you're going to be hungry again an hour later and you're going to be feeling really irritable um, yeah. and I, like you were saying you've cut it out of your diet and your skin's cleared up uh, another big one is people's inflammation in the gut. So they lose that belly, especially men who drink beer a lot. If they stop drinking beer for a while, you find that the belly just like shrinks back down. It's just inflammation yeah. and, and bloating, especially with bread as well. So, and it doesn't take long, like you said, a week and you notice a massive difference. Yeah. Well, gluten is in beer as well. So, um, he's some, so if you've got celiac disease, obviously that's like, if you eat any of it or absorb any of it, you can end up in hospital. But for the rest of us, uh, um, we're not, we just have a low level intolerance to it. So it can be, uh, you get quite sick, don't you? If you eat something, but for me, it could be like, it's just making us itchy or for someone else, it could be that their joints are aching and, you know, there's different levels of it. So, and you can build up like an accumulation of it. So over the years, like you might start off not intolerant to it, but over the years, because you're not getting rid of it out of your system, then that creates an accumu- a bioaccumulation of issues. Um, some of the uh, symptoms of gluten intolerance are skin disorders, gas, diarrhea, constipation, cramps, and chronic fatigue. So again, how many people suffer from all that kind of stuff? And oh, yeah, and, some people have every single one of those. I find yeah. it's a brain fog feeling for me, and just like right. an, upset, an upset stomach as well. Yeah. I mean, anything with food, I think um, an upset stomach is the, probably the main one. But yeah, skin, skin, is a, skin is a huge one. People mm. don't realize this, this skin issues. I was thinking the other day that, um, you know, like, the, uh, the barometer like the your bodily barometer we all have one don't we it's like your weakest link mm. so for me it's my skin like if i go anywhere where it's not got the right water or the right air or i'm not eating the right stuff it'll come out on my skin first before anything yeah. like i've probably got quite a cast iron gut because i can just eat stuff and like my husband's always laughing at us what things i eat or out of date stuff and all that. So he's like you'll make yourself sick yeah, not dog food, but I have been in deepest, darkest Africa and stuff and eating things that everyone else was sick around me and I wasn't, do you know what I mean? So I think like gut health is pretty good, but like my skin is where it comes out of. And I was thinking the most places where you feel this is in your detoxification organs because they're the things that are trying to get all these things out of your system. So your skin is the big one, your liver. So, you know, we're talking about the liver trying to get all of this stuff out your kidneys, your lungs. So some people will go asthmatic and that, that's where it'll, it'll show. So quite interesting. I was thinking about that the other day, Dan. Yeah, nasal, I was, well, you mentioned there, like lungs, I think nasal congestion is a yeah. big one. Like that's, I think dairy and wheat are two huge uh-huh, ones yeah. for that, yeah. Um, that's that's a good point, yeah. Like it's, so the symptoms are all there. I think the trouble is people just get so used to living with symptoms and just accepting that that's the way they are. 
there's the saying, isn't there? Common, but not normal. So it's common for everyone to have brain fog yeah. and to have bad skin, but it's not normal. That is not the baseline. The baseline health is to be energetic and have good health. And maybe you might catch a cold every couple of years and get over it in a couple of days. That's normal health. But we've substituted normal for common. It's common to have a skin problem. It's common to have gas problems. It's common to have congestion. But we think we can just live with them and that's and that's normal. It's not common and normal are two different things. Good point, Dan. Well made. Well, should we end on that note? Yeah, because that was ending on a high there. <laughs> yeah, that was a <laughs> statement. <laughs> yes, excellent. I like to end on a statement. So well done, Dan. And you know what? It's been a year now since we first started pod- podding. Is it? A year? Mm-hmm. When did we release our first one, though? Not till the 1st of June, but we'd practice for a bit beforehand and those will oh, right. never okay. be released. So this is kind of our <laughs> low-key one-year anniversary. There's a low key one, yeah. There's like right. our soft one. We'll have a this is the build up to the full celebration oh, with the fireworks work. and everything. Yeah. I was just thinking about this the other night. I've, you know what? I'll tell you what, I've been meditating, Dan. Um, so you know that I joined uh Luminary because I like listening to Russell Brandt's podcast. Yeah. So he started a new podcast, which is a, a meditation podcast called something I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, uh so they're only 10 minutes. So I've just been doing them on a the morning. You know what? It's like, and I've been focusing on breathing and I've been doing the shamanic journeying, um, which I'll talk about another day. <laughs> and you know what? It's making such a difference. It's making me a really deep thinker. And so I was thinking about our podcast and I was thinking, you know what? I've learned so much stuff. Like, because it's made us revisit all of the stuff that we got taught. It's actually consolidating a load of learning, don't you think? Yeah, it's like, one of your favorite sayings when one person teaches two people learn yeah and that's one of the best forms of you know we often hear the phrase there's there's three different types of learners there's visual there's auditory and there's kinetic so Mm. but there's actually i think when you break it down there's about 10 different types there's there's those three but then like there's teaching that is the highest form of learning if you learn Mm -hmm. something and teach it to someone else you learn about it more because you have to really know your stuff and then people ask you questions so yeah, you have to really know your stuff and like you said, consolidates everything. So I found the same thing. We have to do our research. You have to be really confident in what you say and believe in it. And then the the highest form of knowledge is if you've actually applied it to yourself, like your mm-hmm. skin's cleared up in the last couple of weeks. So you're the perfect person to come to and talk about food intolerances, clearing up people's skin. Mm-hmm. Anyone can just read a book and and then repeat the words. That's not real knowledge, is it? So yeah, knowledge I, I, power. I feel the same, yeah. Applied knowledge is power and um, knowledge is potential power. So I've become dead like a deep thinker, I think, Dan, in my last in the last year. So But with your whole meditation thing, I'm I'm glad you've embraced the meditation <laughs> because like I said to you on the recent podcasts, you are like a secret Jedi and you just you don't you're almost <laughs> scared of your own powers, aren't you? Yeah, but I am I think, scared of them. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm expecting levitation within a year, to be honest. It it might happen, yeah. So there have been things going on, which I'll tell you about another time. But um, yeah, it's also been a super moon as well, and I know you're a yeah, secret werewolf. Yeah, but I was like really tired yesterday, and I think it was the energy was sapping. But it's a recharge. Yeah, we we need to keep an eye on this meditation thing because like it's uh, it's like messing with nuclear power. It can be really good, but like I need to harness it. Yeah, yeah it needs exactly. To be harnessed. Yeah, you need a coach. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, on that note. Where can our, what can our listeners do? What should they do, Dan? 
avoid the four devils for a start. That's a good place to start. Yeah. So awareness is the first step. So if you listen to this podcast and at least you know a little bit more about them, mm-hmm. then I think read the ingredients on labels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially the sugar one, because it can be hidden everywhere. Yeah. Um, and at least things like wheat are labeled in bold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be hard to eliminate the, these things totally. Absolutely. You understand everyday mm-hmm. life kind of gets in the way, but just try and limit them. Mm-hmm. And then try and judge your reactions. So if you if you haven't had bread for two weeks and you feel better, then you have then you have some wheat. Try and notice the reactions, and and then work on them. So I think is it wasn't me skin, wasn't me congestion, did I have gas? Then you know it's it's an absolute sign. Okay, your your body can't lie. If it has something it's intolerant to, it's going to tell you. So try and try not to block out the signals by taking medication. Just your body, if your body doesn't want it, it doesn't want it and it'll tell you. So that, that would be my advice. Listen to your body. It's much cleverer than you are. Yeah. And like other people don't know better than you. Just because mm. the government says you should have bread seven times a week doesn't just automatically mean that it works for you. Exactly. Like you have to listen to yourself. Excellent. Okay. Yes. Good. So um, don't forget to pass the pod. If you've enjoyed this, remember to leave us a five-star review, please, if you listen to our podcast and pass it on to your friends, because you never know this knowledge. We put it out there. We want the world to hear it, don't we, Dan? Yep. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. Podbean, Alexa, Google Home. Uh, All over. And on my website as well, yep. uk, where you can book classes and contact me there brilliant thanks everyone we'll see you again soon thank you bye